Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Kelly Green Hour. This is a very special episode of the Kelly Green Hour, as we have a very special guest on the show to talk about the recent events of the draft over the weekend, and his name is Josh uh, McNutt. Um, unfortunately, my our host, LJ, is not able to be on, sadly, but hopefully we'll all get on together at another time. But Josh McNutt is the host of the Missing Link podcast, another fellow Eagles podcast. If you've never listened to it, it is a really good listen, and you should definitely take a minute to listen to it. Josh, how are you doing tonight? That was a great introduction. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I I am doing great. I mean, I guess for I guess the last time I left off, I hadn't uh, introduced to the listeners what the sex of my child is if you don't know i'm having a kid in august and we uh thank you so much um and we did the gender reveal on saturday i am having a baby boy so i am ecstatic oh yeah yes we finished painting the nursery it was basically a silver and then for a boy it was going to be the midnight green of the eagles or a disgusting pink color if it was a girl so thank the lord it's a boy and i have an eagles nursery so i am pumped that's That's amazing did your wife have a, a different idea in mind was she happy with the boy she's very happy with the boy but she rolled her eyes at the color of the room but that's to be expected, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Josh, I'll just give you a minute to kind of plug your podcast. Let us know like what you do, what you talk about. I mean, we obviously know you talk Eagles, but I mean, just give a quick plug of the podcast. Absolutely. So it's the Missing Link, L-I-N-C, like Lincoln Financial Field. And the idea, and just it's a, it's a, from a fan's perspective to other fans. So I haven't written for any blogs or done anything like that i just want to bring some passion to the game and it's been a fantastic journey some great support and usually the episodes are under a half hour mostly game previews and reviews uh, a lot of draft content going on right now but i hope you guys will give it a listen absolutely i know i've given it a listen a few times and it, it's some good quality content and as we were talking before we started recording I respect people who can talk basically by themselves, even for half an hour. We've we've had a guest or two on who do that, and I respect the hell out of it because that's tough to do. Like you said, it's basically, before we were recording, you said it's basically monologuing. And yeah, I think I could do it, but I'd probably get bored of myself and bored of my voice after a while. So I respect the hell out of that. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm in sales, so I'm used to hearing myself talk. So it's... Uh... Not too big of a leap, but I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm in sales, too. So maybe that's why I, I get tired of my voice. <laughs> maybe we're just different. But enough about us, enough about the podcast. Let's get down to the business at hand. And that is last weekend was the draft. And boy, did Howie Roseman take us on one hell of a journey. We went from the highs of we're getting CD Lamb, we're trading into the top 10 to the lows of not trading and drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round, back to the highs of trading for Marquise Goodwin, which we could call it a high if you want to call it a high, drafting three linebackers, a lot of people scratching their heads about it, like who are these people? Of course, they're all, as as I've been going, ranting on about Twitter, athletic 
supportive linebackers who are literally, for those who don't know a 4-3 defensive scheme, you just don't really need quality, quality linebackers. You just need athletes to run sideline to sideline and support the secondary and support the front four. Um, and then, of course, the maybe the high of going from having eight picks to ten picks. But, I mean, like, damn, what that draft was wild, was it not? It was. You know, one of the things that came across loud and clear was how he was going after speed and athleticism. That's really just all he wanted. And so you think about the first round pick, and I personally am a, am a fan of Jalen Rager's game. So I was excited to see that pick, even with someone like Justin Jefferson on the board. But really that second round pick, I think, threw everyone through a loop. You see that ramification as time goes on, even now. You know, it's all Eagles Twitter can talk about. So I think that that really impacts someone's overall opinion of the draft class. And I know we're going to dive right into that. But you look past the third round and on even when they're drafting linebackers or even when they're going after offensive guards, speed is a, is a big thing. And they want athletic people. They want to get younger and faster. And I think after watching the last four games last year, seeing what Carson can do with minimal talent, I'm excited to see what he can do with that kind of uh, speed. Absolutely. Big time. And, and I mean, we'll touch on Jalen hurts, but like you said, the, the Twitter world and the Eagles fans are in an uproar. Their arms are still up in the air. Uh, like they're working out at a gym here and and at the at the end of the day you know Howie's a smart guy and and you know as much as I question the pick at the time we'll dive into it but I start to make sense of the pick now I can start slowly make sense of the pick Um, I think we're spelling the end of Nate Sudfeld in Philadelphia but like you kind of touched on, let's start with the first pick. Let's start with Jalen Rager. That was an interesting pick at 23. One that was kind of Jalen Rager. We, we liked him. We met with him. If we can call it meeting pre-draft with Zoom or Skype or whatever, however they met with the prospects. They met with Jalen Rager. They, they, they met with the big three. Um, and I mean, you kind of touched on Justin Jefferson. You know, I was kind of happy we passed on Justin Jefferson for the sole fact that I think as an outside guy, if you're going to have Justin Jefferson, you can't have J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. So for me, I thought it was a smart pass for that sole reason that one or the other would have to cannibalize eventually uh, because you'd need to have a Deshaun Jackson or a true speed receiver on the outside. And Justin Jefferson and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside are both that big outside presence, those those true X receivers for you. Um so I guess you kind of touched on it briefly. You really like Jalen Rager's play. I, at the beginning of the draft process, felt he was a lot like Nelson Aguilar. I fell into that Ooh. grouping because <laughs> Nelson, but if you look at the athletic metrics, you look at their size, you look at their everything, they are almost identical. But then you look at what they had as quarterbacks and Jalen Rager had a terrible, terrible quarterback so I think we have just we barely even seen the the bottom of the iceberg of what Jalen Rager is capable of with a competent quarterback like Carson Wentz so what what did you love so much about Jalen Rager going in and and was this a pick you thought despite the rumors about Justin Jefferson and this idea of trading up yeah so one of the big things and the big advocate of, of what I was trying to get across last week was I wanted them to trade up for C.D. Lamb and I thought that we had to get up to 11 to make that happen. So some of that roller coaster ride was, okay, 
He's getting up to 16. And as soon as 16 hit with the Atlanta Falcons, I was yelling at my television, trade up, Howie. You got to trade up now. And I was talking with a few friends while we were listening to this going on. And I'm thinking to myself, is Dallas really going to draft this guy? You know, like they have, they have so many needs on defense. So, you know, you're talking yourself into it. Maybe you don't have to trade up. But uh, later on, we, we found out that he was trying to trade up for um, potentially a second round pick he would have to give up. And considering the way that second round pick went, I, I think we can argue whether that was a smart choice or not. But since he didn't do it, let's just talk about what actually happened. And what actually happened was drafting Jalen Rager. And I don't know if we can afford to be cute. And I mean that in like a way of Justin Jefferson is a volume receiver. He's a guy who has production by far the most catches in the NCAA last year. So it's hard to pass on that kind of production and talent, especially in the conference he played in. And I think that mm-hmm. Howie was specifically looking for a trait, and that trait was speed. You look at someone like Deshaun Jackson going down, and you have an Alshon Jeffrey still on the team. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is someone who has a certain body type. He's not a speed demon. So I think that he was looking at this as, I need to fill this certain need, so I'm going to fill it. Now, you can argue whether or not that's sound drafting, but I think that if you want speed, Jalen Reger is that guy. You mentioned his quarterback play. I feel so bad for that guy because all anyone is doing is ragging on how bad he is. But he's a freshman quarterback. I mean, he could potentially get better. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was over 61% of his balls were catchable. So that means almost 40% were not. And I'm excited to see an accurate quarterback like Carson go to work with someone like this. And you mentioned comparing him to Aguilar by measurables. Unfortunately, I, I I disagree a little bit from the perspective of his attitude towards the game, the way he approaches attacking the football and the way he just plays and is playing, you know, machoism is, is night and day from what Nelson Aguilar's personality is. So mm-hmm. I think that if he drops a ball or, you know, he's going to be self-motivated to, to fix that. He's not going to let some of that outside noise get to him. He's just going to go to work and play football. Yeah, and I definitely, like after watching some film, I definitely think Jalen Rager is a lot more of a uh, a yards after the catch machine compared to Nelson Aguilar. Jalen Rager made a lot of those catches and then made plays after the fact for their quarterback and for that team. And that's something that we oh so sorely missed last year. Um, Carson Wentz had to make every single play for himself because as we know, we all love Zach Ertz but he doesn't do much after the play. We all love Dallas Goddard. He does a bit after the play, but I mean, they're tight ends at the end of the day. And the people, the true yards after the catch guys are, have to be at the receiver position. Or as we saw last season, you could be at the running back position, like with Miles Sanders, who proved an invaluable asset to us last season. And he's clearly entrenched as a starting running back for the future of this team. And Jalen Reger is looking to create cover that same role, I think, um, at the wide receiver position, despite Deshaun Jackson there. But I mean, just week one, you saw it in week one with Deshaun Jackson and what he did and what Carson Wentz did with Deshaun Jackson and a competent and capable receiver. And now if you think of a guy like Jalen Reger, you think of some of the other guys like Marquise Goodwin, who we traded for, and John Hightower, who we drafted, suddenly the hype is building all over again. That same hype, that same feeling that we had last year when people were saying, we have one of the best receiving corps in the league, and Deshaun Jackson went down, and we looked like the most incompetent receiving corps in the entire league. So I don't want to buy into the hype too, too much, 
but I definitely agree. I like what Howie did, and I like what Howie did with that pick with Jalen Reger. Um, I, I was just reading today, there was a rumor the Falcons at 16-1, it picked 21-53, and I think it was 107 and 146. That's how desperate they thought the Eagles would be um, to make the deal. Whether or not it's true, I'm not 100% sure. And I thought the same thing as you when Dallas came up. They're not seriously going to do that. And you know what? You know what? As much as people say, oh, no, no, we were taking best player available. I get that. But I still think there was a bit of the old FU middle finger to Howie Roseman with that pick by Jerry Jones on his yacht. I don't know about you, but it just felt so much like there was the old, remember when you traded up for Dallas Goddard? Well, watch me take your prized receiver who I still, I, I talked to somebody else um, on the fantasy football podcast I do the other night. And I said, I don't think CD lamb was falling to us. I still think the Raiders possibly taking a second receiver was not out of the realm of possibility. And I don't, think that if he got past that, I don't think it made it past uh, the Jaguars pick because I think the Jaguars also could have heavily, heavily considered a true number one wide receiver at that position. Um, But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I like the pick. I can live with the pick watching some film. It it was tough to watch. I felt bad for Jalen Rager. I do feel bad for the quarterback um who who's throwing him the ball who's getting ragged on but like you said he's a freshman maybe there's more potential but I mean it is also TCU so that the talent level I think is uh the expectation isn't all there as compared to like an Ohio State or an LSU but I mean honestly if you when you hear that rumor about the Falcons and what they were asking and when you think about giving up 21 and 53 uh for CD Lamb are, are you happy with Rager over Lamb What's your thoughts on that one? I think if I'm being honest with myself and I think of everyone, I mean, of course, the insurance policy that comes with having a backup quarterback. And, and of course, you know, we can dive very far into that with the second round pick. If the if the true price and I know you mentioned a few other picks, but let's say I mean, the meat of that trade would have been giving up 53. I think that was probably the biggest sticking point. Mm-hmm. And if you're telling me I can get C.D. Lamb for Jalen Rager and um, Jalen Hurts, I would make that trade just straight up. You know, I think that unfortunately you were right that Jerry, it really was the best of both worlds. I mean, Michael Gallup is going to be coming up on a contract year. They could use a second receiver and who knows how Amari Cooper is going to go just because he got a hundred million dollars. That doesn't mean he's going to be there for the next five years. CD lamb could end up taking over that one number one spot. So I think it was helpful to the team. Now they have some definite holes on defense still. Uh, their center just retired. You know, th- there are a lot of issues with that Cowboys team and they could have been smarter with how they picked, but you can't argue with the talent. You can't argue with how much of a steal it was. And it was definitely both helping their immediate future and then also a big middle finger to the Eagles. Definitely. And you cannot go wrong with doing that and having your wife sit on the yacht beside you and hold your phone. I have never seen something like that before i don't know if you were watching the draft at that point where the oh, wife's holding the phone jealous. up for him and i'm sitting there and i'm like oh my god jerry jones like well, we're going through this crisis and we're watching jerry jones and his wife's holding the phone on this yacht as they t- steal cd lamb from our grasps it was just the the definite middle finger to the philadelphia eagles organization but you know what? As an Eagles fan and watching this cat, these Cowboys for so long, they'll screw it up. I am oh, certain. Oh yeah, no, they'll, they'll I am it up almost certain hardcore. of it. Yeah, I'm not worried. 
not definitely at all, actually so yeah no no they like you said they have a lot of holes on defense and for us if we can run by them i get that they got uh, trayvon Diggs and stuff and i don't want to get too much into their draft but there was a lot of question marks around trayvon Diggs as well so i would happily watch the track meet that is going to take place when the eagles face the cowboys in the regular season as we run all over them with Jalen Rager, deshaun jackson miles sanders and so on and so on. I would definitely um, take the over if you're a betting man when it comes to those games. <laughs> if, if we're talking from a no score defense. perspective and a yard <laughs> perspective, 100%. 100% take that over. Gamble responsibly, kids. <laughs> um, so Jalen Hurts, round number two. This was where we're sitting there and we're like, people are still digesting Jalen Rager. Why'd you skip on Justin Jefferson? Why didn't you trade up for CD Lamb? And Howie Roseman compl- says... You thought that was fun? Well, hold on, kids. And he goes and drafts Jalen Hurts, the quarterback, in round two. Um, Now, I mean, there's a lot being said. uh, The QB factory idea, which whatever QB factory he's looking at, I don't know which one. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And then the idea of a dual system or dual threat quarterback system. I see it. I get it. Um, but then the saving the money on the backup seems the most reasonable explanation for all of this. I know I just want to make this point. I saw it on Twitter earlier today. Someone, you know, did the whole uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, lowercase, but I thought we were tra- saving money on a backup when Cam Newton signed for $1.1 million. Let's get this straight. Or not Cam Newton, sorry. James uh, Winston. James yeah. Winston, yeah. James Winston made that choice himself to take a major pay cut to prove to work behind Drew Brees and to prove I can take that starting job from Drew Brees when he might be done next season. So let's create, let's get that reality straight now. If Jameis Winston was going anywhere but there or anywhere but where he can be, be behind a future Hall of Fame quarterback, he was going to take a lot more money. So, first of all, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I saw that tweet and it angered me to no end because if you read all about Jameis Winston signing there, it was 100% to do with Sean Payton and 125% to do with playing behind Drew Brees. So, let's get that straight. First Absolutely. I mean, I mean, even look how much we paid Josh McCown last year, right? I mean, these guys are not cheap. You know, this is not a position mm-hmm. that people just take pay cuts. Uh, they want to be able to have a starting role. They want to be able to have a long-term future. And even though Winston threw 30 touchdowns last year, the general consensus around the league is this guy's not your franchise quarterback. So I think it was smart on his point to look, you're going with a team that doesn't have a great cap situation, take a little bit less money, learn from one of the best coaches and quarterback tandems in the league. See how you're, see how much, how much you are worth next year. Yeah. And I mean, if you like, you speak to that, uh, the salary cap situation, if you, people are like, we have 27 million. Why aren't you signing more people? If you fast forward one year on spot track, we're minus 10 million mm-hmm. as of next year off season. So let like that 27 million is important. And we're still in the hole with 27 million in our pocket right now. So it's, you have to be very careful when you're sitting there saying, we have 27 million, spend it all. Howie's being smart about it for a reason. And Jalen Hurts' salary came out today, and I think he's, what, 1.1 million against our cap for four seasons. We play, we paid Josh McCowan similar to that type of money for one yeah, season. Yeah, I think we paid him, I think it was like five mil, five or yeah, six. Yeah, it was a bit more, exactly. So Jalen Hurts at 1.1 million is a steal for four years 
And I know everyone pulled up Carson Wentz's contract, which, honest to God, is the most team-friendly contract you're ever going to look at in your life. We do have an out where we actually save cap space after 2021 or in the Mm -hmm. 2021 offseason. And I get that. And people are pulling that up and saying Jalen Hurts has taken over. That's not necessarily true. And I think people need to get this mentality out of their head that Howie is trying to stab Carson Wentz in the back because he isn't. He has done everything. By the way, congratulations on the child, Carson. But Howie (laughs) has literally done everything in his like Carson's done everything for this team and how he has done everything for Carson Wentz. So he's not at all trying to stab him in the back. And this pick has nothing to do with that. I actually agree that it has everything to do with saving money on what is becoming an extremely crucial position in the NFL. And that is the backup quarterback. We saw how important Nick Foles was. We saw how we've seen how important certain like, quarterbacks are like a Ryan Fitzpatrick how important he's been year over year in the 20 teams he's been on it's important it's becoming a vital role and the more you can save money the better I think it just hurt because it was in round two it was pick 53 I'm a reality I'm I'm an actual like I live in the reality that we weren't drafting a linebacker at one. We weren't drafting the line, a linebacker in round two. And I had tweeted that for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before the draft. It wasn't going to happen because we don't value linebackers like that. But I think it just hurts the fans because it happened in round two. The overall reaction is is pretty crazy. I mean, what what do you think about the overall reaction and the whole reasoning behind the pick? Yeah, I mean, you look at the fallout of it, and it's kind of a cost-benefit analysis, right? Okay, so if I draft this quarterback that I think could be a good player to back up Carson, what's the benefit of that? And the value of having a backup quarterback, you can look as early as last year. So I, I was at the playoff game, and it was a cheap shot. I do not buy the Carson Wentz injury-prone argument. I understand he's mm-hmm. had injuries, but a lot of those situations were, you know, he's diving for an end zone, he tears his ACL in midair, right? Like, that's not... He's not brittle. You know, he's taking hard shots. He had a concussion because Jadavion Clowney speared him in the back of the head. You know, that is not an injury-prone quarterback. That's just someone who's been unlucky. So that's the first point. He's only missed, I think, eight out of his 64 games. So, you know, miss me with that. Second thing is, if we're looking at the backup quarterback situation in that game when Josh McCown comes in, tears his hamstring, I believe it was, at like by halftime. So he was not good in that game. He was injured in that game. And we were still one, we were sitting there on the 10 yard line about to score potentially a two point conversion. We're going to overtime. So we're that close to advancing in a playoff game. So I can see the value in having a backup quarterback that you trust and feel like can perform at a high level. Now, the problem with that is that's in a vacuum. Right. Like that is just thinking about it in football terms. It would be nice to have a backup quarterback. But we live in a reality here where Philadelphia loves controversy. The NFL loves controversy. And Carson Wentz already has these issues, these demons that he's dealing with. I think that he's a great guy and he doesn't really think about Nick Foles in this way. But a lot of people on the team, you think about Alshon Jeffrey, like allegedly last year, kind of throwing some things out about him, just general questions about his leadership and how he's going to handle it. And he's admitted that it was tough to sit on the bench and watch your backup win the Super Bowl. So anyone who's human can understand of, okay, I've got paid all this money. I'm here for the long term and I want weapons around me so I can succeed. And he's a great mm-hmm. teammate. He's going to accept Jalen Hurts, but Howie has spent the last week explaining himself way more than he ever has before. He's usually a ghost to the media. 
And I've seen an interview with this guy every other day. So I understand that he's trying to do some damage control, but I just think it's, it's misguided. This team is not one player away to where you can draft a backup quarterback in the second round and think, okay, my team is complete, right? We have DB issues. We have wide receiver issues. Still, we have all these other holes to fill. You know, that kind of move is a move that you make when you feel like I have an almost perfect team. Let me plan for a contingency. I was fully expecting a DB in the second round. And I just don't think this was a great use of resources because best case scenario for the entire team is this guy never plays for the next four years. Yeah, and I mean, my opinion is very similar. I, I felt we were going to go DB, whether it was going to be safety, whether it was going to be cornerback, pick your poison, it doesn't matter. Darius Slay is not getting any younger as much as we love the pickup there. And the safety position, me and my co-host argue about it over and over again. I think it's a patch job. He thinks it's the path to the future at the safety position. Um, I still think it's a patch job, but we will get to uh, a certain steal uh, in a minute here in the draft at the safety position. But I agree. I think the needs outweighed the, the other needs outweighed the need for a backup quarterback. You have Nate Sudfeld year over year. You give him one year for this much. You put this tag on him. You put that tag on him. I think there's clearly something that they see in Nate Sudfeld and clearly some other team may see it too and will likely come along and say, all right, we'll pay you $5 million. And then we'll sit there and be like, well, Howie was kind of smart to take Jalen Hurts around too because now we only pay him $1.1 million for the next three years. Um, but the reality of the situation is there's a lot more needs and we're not like, like you said, we're not the San Francisco 49ers who can afford to just spend a pick and, and we're, we're good. we can spend whatever pick we want mm-hmm. and we're good to go kind of thing. That team would have made absolute like perfect sense to do something like that. Absolutely. They have a great and, team. You know, like and, that is the luxury you can have when you're like, you can take a gadget player in a higher round. You can be cute when you have a great team. I, I don't think that this Eagles team is a great team right now. You know, there are some holes, there's some wishes and. We'll see how it works out, but I do not. I think this is a two-year window. I think that we have to build up this year, grow together, and then maybe 2021 will be the actual, hey, look, we have a juggernaut on our hands, potentially. I mean, like, even before the draft, Howie was admitting, like, he's got to do some things to to salvage this team because he thinks the window's closing and closing fast, so he's got to get younger, he's got to rebuild and reopen that window for the long term. This Jalen Hurts pick just didn't seem like that type of of move that type of pick but i agree i don't think Howie needs to sit there and continue to defend himself over and over again on this pick the pick was made he said there's the idea of using two quarterbacks on the field at the same time this whatever throw this thing idea in the garbage of the qb factory because we have no qb factory and then the saving money on the backup you know what i get it there there's some viable ideas there but at the end of the day like you said like i said there's just it just makes no sense to me this soon and i know that adam schefter said on um uh wip i think one of those stations in philadelphia today that he knew that the patriots were looking at him and that the vegas raiders if they had to pick in the second round were going with jalen hurts good for them that doesn't mean you had to make the reach (laughs) howie exactly exactly um it didn't mean how he needed to make the reach and i think this draft would have been like a plus in my opinion, if he had have went something different, almost any other position than quarterback, backup quarterback in round two of the draft in such a deep draft at so many positions uh, at the same time. So I think we can all agree we're still hurting about Jalen Hurts 
we're still reeling over the C.D. Lamb incident. So the first two rounds maybe didn't necessarily go 100% the way we wanted, but then he started to pick it up. How he picked it, picked up his shorts and said, watch me do some business. Um, and he went, and uh, I didn't really put him in order, but I want to talk defensive picks, then we're going to talk offensive line depth, and then we'll talk the speed, 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 wide receiving moves that he made. First of all, the defensive picks. So he went after Davian Taylor and Sean Bradley, who were both linebackers, both both very athletic linebackers. Casey Tuhill, who's listed as a linebacker, but who arguably could be a defensive end. And then there is the steal of how he's draft, and that is Kevon Wallace at the safety position. He's being listed as a steal almost everywhere you look because he was projected to likely go earlier than he was taken. Um, and a fair bit earlier than he was taken. Like we're talking at least a round, maybe even two rounds before. Um so what are your thoughts on the defensive picks that Howie made? I mean, we understand there's going to likely be a lot of people continuing to be disappointed with the linebacker situation. But as I said at the top of the show, I've been talking about this for a long time. Howie and Jim Schwartz do not really, it's not that they don't care about the linebacker position. It's not like that there's no value to the linebacker position. It's just they have a specific type of linebacker that they want, a specific type of linebacker that they need to fit a 4-3 scheme. And a Davian Taylor and a Sean Bradley fit that. A Casey Tuhill, eh, not so much. A Casey Tuhill fringes on even making the team, in my opinion. So what are your thoughts sure. on on the linebacker, how, how he addressed the linebacker position? Yeah, so you bring up a great point about the scheme. And when you're thinking about any team in the NFL, you want to look at what system they run. So we have a wide nine. And a wide 9-4-3, it's very, very contingent on the front four getting pressure. Jim Schwartz does not blitz a lot. He's not really known. He did a little bit more of it last year, but that's not really his calling card. What he wants to do is he wants to get pressure with the front four. He wants to drop back the linebackers and play a zone or man or whatever the scheme would call for. So the linebackers are not meant to be – they're just meant to fill responsibilities. Fill your gap, drop into your zone, cover a man across the middle. So speed is, is, is very important. And that is exactly what they went for here. You know, Davian Taylor, he hasn't played a lot. He didn't play in high school, so he doesn't have a lot of knowledge about the game yet. But you see the physical tools on tape. Everyone said he's raw, but he has potential to potentially be a a starting linebacker or even more if it all clicks together, which being in the NFL, especially with the way the offseason is right now, he's going to have a lot of mental reps before he shows up on training camp. Sean Bradley is a Temple grad, someone who is local and probably going to be a fan favorite before you know it. Also a quick guy. But slow to diagnose, not as that's why he dropped the sixth round. You know, there, there are reasons why these guys are not going as high as they could. And those are the deficiencies that he has. He's this fast guy, could play on special teams early. But yeah, like you mentioned, linebacker in that scheme is just not as important as corner safety and front and the front four. So you're never going to see a high draft pick place there because he would be wasted. Right. Like we'd much rather have a DN than, a, than an LB. So we have Nate Gary. You know, Nigel Bradham is here for a couple of years playing at a pretty high level. We just need to get back to a place where we have some competent linebackers who can stop the run, drop back into some zones, cover some tight ends. And that's going to be good enough in this scheme because even with Kayvon Wallace, who, like you said, was a steal, his best position is probably in the slot covering receivers. That's something he did fantastically at Clemson. So you think mm-hmm. you see how this is coming together. We want to have athletic tweeners 
who can do a whole bunch of different things. You might not be great at one thing, but if you have a lot of speed, you can certainly make up for those deficiencies across the football field. So I think that these these fruits probably won't bear until maybe year two or three, but you can cross your fingers and hope that one of them work out sooner. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, if you, if you watch Eagles games, you see that the big thing is just stop them before the sticks. A 4-3 defense, like the way Jim Schwartz runs it, is keep an eye on those sticks and keep it in front of those sticks. And, I mean, but judging by his third down, the third down conversions last year, I get it. it it's a frustrating scheme, but it is the way the scheme works. It is the way that Jim Schwartz works it. And like you said, he did dial up. He knows exactly when to dial up pressure and when it's a smart time. It's just we had a really crappy secondary. So the big thing, like you were saying, with the 4-3 scheme, the front four needs to get pressure. But when you have a secondary like we had, you don't have they don't make it. So you have that extra couple of seconds to for the for the front four to get that pressure. And with a guy like Darius Slay on the team now and and maybe with some more athletic linebackers like Davian Taylor, Sean Bradley. I'm a big Edwards fan. I'm also a big uh, Singleton fan. Um maybe maybe that's the two seconds that a Fletcher Cox, a Javon Hargrave, a Brandon Graham, a Derek Barnett need to get that pressure to really throw that quarterback off his game completely. Um, Kevon Wallace, like you said, he he suffers from a similar deficiency to Sean Bradley, but at a different position. Kevon Wallace is not necessarily known for his high football IQ, but he is a damn sure tackler. He will make those tackles. He will make the, those plays and he will, if he knows where the sticks are, he will make that stop before the sticks. So Kevon Wallace is a, a sure thing tackler and definitely a box safety who needs the time to diagnose the play as it's happening, see the play and then go and make the play kind of thing. Um, Davian yeah, Taylor, if you, if you watch him on like just highlights in general, that guy has such a great attitude, loves the game. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly, you know, he's not Brian Dawkins, but going to Clemson and being a safety, you're going to draw those comparisons. His his general attitude and the way that he plays the game. I love both with him and Rager. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Their attitudes towards the game. It can be infectious. You know, if you have people playing hard all the time, that rubs off on the guys around you. Absolutely. Especially after the drama that went down last year with maybe quote unquote Alshon Jeffrey and whatever happened, whoever this person was uh, that we got rid of and Orlando Scandrick and, and those situations, having guys like Jalen Rager and Kevon Wallace come into the locker room are, are really big. Even if they're not leaders, that type of attitude is huge for a team because you've seen them try and have, and have that attitude. But then there's always one or two rotten apples that ruin it. And, and once it happens once during the season, it kind of throws off an entire season. And we saw that last year. There was always Orlando Skandrick going on first take, not first take, whatever he went on. That with undisputed uh, with Skip, undisputed with Skip yeah. and Shannon. Yep, it, where he just constantly every week they brought him on just to to just to suck up to Skip Bayless and the Dallas Cowboys and I wish I never left Dallas. And then the whole rumors around Alshon Jeffrey and or Alshon Jeffrey, whoever said what they said. It, it can ruin a whole season. It can derail a locker room. And we witnessed that last season. So like you said, those attitudes are really good to have. And sure thing, tacklers are a good thing to have because I think we had one of the highest missed tackle percentages, especially among linebackers last season. So a Davian Taylor and Kevon Wallace, who are sure thing tacklers, who are very athletic, are going to be fan favorites before we know it and who are going to be guys who make the team year over year 
and and prove their value very quickly. Um, you mentioned Nate Geary, and I know if our co-host was on here, he'd be laughing right now because he hates Nate Geary. So <laughs> do I. And I would not be sad to see him lose his job to Davian Taylor or Sean Bradley or Singleton Emergent or Edwards Emergent or continuing to emerge. So I don't hate the defensive picks, but obviously with the needs along the defense, they're underwhelming, especially for people who are expecting linebacker higher. They're, they're kind of underwhelming picks, but they're good picks. They're athletic picks. They're what fit the, sh- the Jim Schwartz scheme. So I'm okay with the defensive picks, except Casey Tuhill, like I said, who very well likely may not even make the team. He seems like a guy who they're going to have to try at linebacker, try at end, and compete with Sharif Miller for that that last defensive end position or that that kind of like flex end linebacker position. So yeah, it, seventh round be, pick, right? I mean, you're just taking a flyer. You know, exactly. if it doesn't work out, whatever. Definitely, definitely. So the defensive picks are definitely underwhelming. Um, but then things got a little bit more interesting. Um, so it started off with Howie trading pick. It was what 146 to the uh, Dallas Cowboys That's after right. selecting Jack Driscoll. So he selected Jack, Jack Driscoll, who's uh, quote unquote offensive line. He's a lot more of his work is at guard and tackle than any other position. Um, and they, I know it angered a lot of people. It angered me because I personally would have taken Tyler Biadash with that pick instead of Jack Driscoll because the reality is we have a center coming up on retirement. Whether we want to admit it or not, Jason Kelsey's coming up on his retirement, and I was hoping for a Cesar Ruiz, but he went way earlier than I thought he would be. Um, then there's the Tyler Biadash, who could have been someone who we could have developed. Um, and the Dallas then ended up taking. Who Dallas actually ended up taking. Obviously, we talked about losing Travis Frederick. Well, there you go. There's your potential replacement there. And then there's like Matt Hennessy. There were some guys that would have probably preferred over Jack Driscoll, but this is where he started to consider the offensive line depth. We have a guy like Jordan Mailata who's still there. What do we have in him? We don't really know. We're still trying to trying to work him into a role along that offensive line. Jack Driscoll started almost every single game in his college career, whether at guard or whether at tackle. So that gives it us an incredible option. Um, for depth after losing um, Halapulivati Vaitai. Um, and then there was Prince Tega Wanogho, awesome name, and also an, an, also potentially a humongous steal. He had second and third round grades if it wasn't for a medical red flag. So what are your thoughts on uh, those uh, offensive line moves that Howie made? I think it's a shrewd observation to make that Kelsey's going to be retired. I mean, he already kind of contemplated it, right? That came out last year that he came back and he's going to honor his contract, but he's getting towards the end of his rope. The guy's hurt all the time. He doesn't, he plays, but he's playing hurt. So I think that you look at the, the style that they want to play and they want to have certain types of offensive linemen, and that is athletic offensive linemen. So with Driscoll, for example, one of the biggest knocks on him is he's not very tall, not for as long as arms are kind of short, but he is fast. He's fast. So you look at him as like a guard prospect and, you know, Sam Alu's probably going to move in to the center position. I think that's their their plan A right now once Kelsey retires. And Sam Alu's pretty athletic, but having an athletic left guard, if Driscoll ends up filling that void, would be a great combination for screens, for second-level blocking. That's just the style of offense they want to play. And so Dallas drafted um, 
Tyler, the center from Wisconsin. And one of the things with him is he's a big guy, but he's not very athletic. And so you think of the fits for the teams. And again, he's he got drafted in the fourth round. So I'm not not saying he needs to be a starter tomorrow. But if you're looking for the kind of developmental talent that they want to go for, you can look at what they've done in the past. And they've had great success with an athletic center and left guard. And I think that's just what they want to continue. They want to be able to get out ahead of screens. They want to be able to block on that second level quickly. And I think that's really the main reason why they chose Dresco over others. Yeah, with, definitely. Uh, I with, mean, go ahead. Sorry. That- yeah, definitely. I mean, you see it. You see it in most games that there's always that. They it seems like they're always kind of the offensive line is thinking about how can I make this quick block and move to the second level and help move the play along, and, and that's something that you see. And that only comes with athletic individuals like a guy like Jack Driscoll, like a guy like Lane Johnson, uh, currently on the roster. Mm-hmm. So you're always looking at for those guys who. They make that pick. They they make that that one. It's almost like a pick, essentially, where it's just like one quick block. OK, Sanders is gone. We're going to the next level. And you're always thinking about that next level. And how can I get there before Sanders gets there so that he's not hit? So, I mean, yep. like you said, athletic is definitely something that we focus on all over the field. And Jack Driscoll is something like that. Prince Tegawanoko is definitely someone like that. But obviously that medical red flag really, really Dropped him down the boards, but I, I really like that pick. I love that pick. I think that pick was almost more of a steal than Kevon Wallace. It's just a matter of him staying healthy, but that's another guy who can play at the tackle position. So, You know, he reminds me of, uh, not in body type, but just generally in this situation, is uh, King Dunlap. Remember that guy? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another uh, one. There big, we go. From a yeah. we get a prince instead of a king. There you go. Big throwback there. But he was a king. Dunlap was a seventh round pick with medical issues, but he had a lot of physical traits that you could work up. And he actually ended up going. Did he go to the Chargers? I feel like he ended up going to another team and being their starting left tackle because we had Jason Peters. But that's just, I mean, I hope that's what happens. We have a solid backup swing tackle that can back up Andre Dillard effectively. And Jordan Maialata, you know, he's still there. Potentially that could be something that works out. But it's smart to invest this late in the draft in someone who could potentially fill a big role. And if he clears mm-hmm. medically and the knees don't end up being as big of a deal as some people thought, then you got yourself a player. Yeah, I mean, take the risk on it. Why not? It's the seventh round. A guy who had second and third round grades. Go ahead. Why not? Take that medical red flag because odds are, like we said with Casey Tuhill, it's a guy who's going to be fighting until the very last day and may very well, highly likely lose their job in the end. So a guy like this who has such high grades and the only thing holding him back is a medical red flag is is something is a smart move by Howie. And I mean, like you said, there's there must be something there in Jordan Mailata. We've kept him year over year. We IR'd him for an entire season. There's something there that us fans aren't getting to see because it's all about what's happening in the preseason. And we've seen some improvements. We've seen some maturation. The guy was a rugby star, came up from being a rugby star to, to trying to take over at the left tackle position. For whatever reason, people wanted to move on from Andre Dillard. They thought there was some value there. Um, but I mean, it's simple. It's like a used, it's like a car. Once you drive it off the lot, you're not going to get the same value. So this idea that people wanted to actually move on from Andre Dillard blew my mind because literally exactly. He, did he not do well? Yeah. He had some lapses. He was a rookie, but it was better than Jason Peters for the majority of the season. His lapses were a lot easier to get past than the average one to two false starts a game from Jason Peters, the average one to two timeouts that Jason Peters costs us, injury timeouts that he costs us every game. 
Mm-hmm. I wanted Andre Dillard. I wanted him to see the field. It was a perfect scenario. It was the best case scenario. And people were already ready to say, well, I'll, I'd throw a couple million dollars at Jason Peters. No, we did not trade up and draft Andre Dillard to trade him and throw a couple million dollars back at Jason Peters, who had one of the worst years of his career. I, it just made zero sense. I like what they did at the tackle position in general with Andre Dillard on one side and with Lane Johnson on the other side. I think that's a formidable duo for many more years to come. And they're backing them up with some really good guys like Driscoll, who can also back up a guy potentially like Brandon Brooks, who might run into who might continue to have injury issues, or a guy like Prince Teguanoga who could step in as well if needed. I, I think these were smart moves. I thought they were smart plays. But like I said, there could have been a bit more focus at a guy who played guard center maybe over tackle guard um but i didn't but the, i think the backup center's on the team yeah um, there like is said, there's, Sam very much, plan a. there's definitely very much a potential that it's there and and we just don't see him enough to see to see his value but he's been an incredible depth option so maybe he steps into that center role and and kills it for us hope so um I, I completely agree. It's way easier to have the homegrown talent and the talent already there than to go out looking for it. And that's one thing. He t- we talked about the QB factory earlier. There's one thing we disagree with that point, but he the Eagles are very good at developing within. We talk about Jordan Mailata. There's something there. We continue to develop. We continue to keep him on the roster. There's something there in a lot of these people that the coordinators see or the position coaches see or how he sees so at the end of the day, I trust what our coaches are doing in-house to address the needs and that they have an eye out for the future beyond like the safety position and this one-year Band-Aid or the safety position and what happens when Kelsey moves on kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, uh, you know, the people who draw the ire of the Eagles fans or the wide receiver coach, which has been a, it's been a revolving door. But we're very lucky to have Jeff Stalin as the offensive line coach. He is a top two offensive mm-hmm. line coach in the league. And we're Deuce Staley. And Deuce Staley, absolutely. But I'm he, talking more specifically about the offensive line. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, these guys that are coming on here are getting the absolute best coaching you could possibly get. So I trust that if Jeff Stalin is looking at these guys thinking, I can work with that, I'm putting my faith in him because he's shown time and time again, even with Halapoti Vitae. Who ended up leaving? I mean, that was a guy who was a fifth-round pick that we ended up turning into with someone who ended up gaining a fifty million dollar contract. So, I'm I'm happy. I think that these guys are um, worthwhile picks, and I, I trust that the coaching staff can coach them up. Absolutely. I mean, one thing that we have to, I think that we both can agree on. We are lucky to still have some of the coaches that we have because they could easily be getting jobs. Deuce Staley is due for an offensive coordinator job. It's just, a, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. With a guy like Deuce Staley, Jeff Stoutland, we're lucky to continue to have him. I say it year over year, and I catch a ton of flack for it. We're lucky to have Jim Schwartz. Jim Schwartz, oh, yeah. as much as we love to hate on him, we are lucky to have him. And and it, you look at some of the situations we, it's not like we've given him the golden opportunity, especially on offense sometimes. You'll watch him. They'll be like, oh, he's been giving up a lot of plays. And then he will give you three incredible stops, give you perfect field position, and the offense does nothing. You can't expect continuous stops, stop over, stop over, stop, and the offense do nothing. So we're luckier, luckier to have Jim Schwartz and people want to admit, but I am willing to admit it and catch the flack for it. Oh, I um, mean— it, it, people are so quick to forget. It, uh, Juan Castillo, 
right? Like, I mean, guys, we have had terrible defensive coordinators. And the fact that we have mm-hmm. a, a former head coach who is still garnering some head coaching jobs, even as late, uh, even as soon as last season, Jim Schwartz is a top 10, 12-ish defensive coordinator. We are extremely lucky to have him on the staff. He's not superseding his power. Doug Peterson gives him the defense and says, you run it. And he loves it that way. We are going to miss him when he's gone. So enjoy him while he's here. And it's a lot easier to continue on with the coach and work with that coordinator in a 4-3 scheme. We built a team around his scheme than to move to a new coordinator with a completely different scheme and then attempt to rebuild after that. I don't think people realize just how difficult it would be to go from 4-3 to 3-4 or whatever scheme another defensive coordinator might have in mind. Yep. 22 uh, teams would love to have Jim Schwartz. I can tell you that. Absolutely. I guarantee you. Um, next up, uh, one of the last topics here, speed, speed, speed. So they ended up down the road. They traded Marquise, or they traded for Marquise Goodwin trade, and I think it was a sixth round pick for Marquise Goodwin, and then giving him an insane $1.35 million deal for a guy who has just struggled to fit in where he is, but who could very well fit in in Philadelphia. And then the picks of John Hightower and Quez Watkins. First of all, let's start with the Marquise Goodwin trade. I really like the trade. I've been a fan of Marquise Goodwin. I think he's caught a lot of flack because he's on a team that that they just don't get the ball down the field. And Goodwin's a guy who he doesn't he's not necessarily a yak guy. He's not that Brandon Ayuk. He's not that Debo Samuel. He's not that type of guy who creates a ton of yards for himself. He creates by getting down the field, catching the ball and getting those big gains. What was your thoughts on the uh, Marquise Goodwin trade and his fifth in Philadelphia? I think that, so they traded back in the sixth round. They only dropped 20 spots for him. So essentially he was free. And then on top of that, you give him a reworked contract where it's very low risk. So you get a look at this guy in training camp. You can see how he adjusts. And as the course of the season goes on, if he's terrible, you can cut him with no issue. I think it's a very shrewd move by Howie Roseman to bring along a veteran. We have a lot of receivers, as we have just discussed, and we're going to discuss that have been drafted. And you want to have another veteran out there that can fill that speed role and just take some of these guys under his wing. He hasn't been very healthy the past couple of years. But honestly, if we can get, let's say, three to four big plays out of him this year, just with his straight line speed, I think that it's well worth trading back 20 spots. So... My expectations are tempered, but I don't think it's, it's a very low risk move. I don't see how you couldn't like it. No, exactly. You not only did you exchange picks and move back 20 picks, you got a, a player who's been in the NFL, a guy who's attempt to establish a role, a guy who has shown there's a lot of potential there. or There's at least some potential there to be a wide receiver, a viable wide receiver, three wide receiver, four option. So I can definitely get behind that deal. Big time. It's not just a swap of picks. It's a swap of picks and getting an actual player in return. What were your thoughts on the John Hightower and Quez Watkins picks? Clearly, we're going for all sub 4-4 or bordering on 4-4 speed. Um, I like John Hightower, not so high on Quez Watkins. Um, I think Quez Watkins will likely be the odd man outcome cut time. But John Hightower's definitely got some potential. They all just got straight up, straight line speed. Like I put as the... Uh, the, the topic header for this speed, speed, speed. That's what we did with Jalen Reger. That's what we did with Marquise Goodwin. That's what we did with John Hightower, Quez Watkins, Deshaun Jackson. It was all about speed and all about surrounding. And we still got Greg Ward on the roster. And then we went and signed as a UDFA Khalil Tate, another QB to wide receiver um, option. Um, they all run incredibly fast. 
and they are all throw the ball as far as you can, I'll, I'll get there kind of players. So what are your thoughts on there and the fact that, you know, well, you can't, we're not going to keep eight receivers. Who do you think is the odd man out? I think that if you're looking at, like, let's just say Alshon Jeffrey's gone, which I think is probably going to be the case. It could not be. He might start on, he might start as a, you know, on the pup list and potentially come back on. But I think you're right to think that Hightower is probably going to be the one of these three, Goodwin included, that will end up sticking. I think that it's, it's interesting. It, it's kind of like buying lottery tickets. You know, these guys are all very similar builds, right? They're tall, slender, fast. Does that make a complete receiver? No. Do you need complete receivers at every position? No, you don't. You just need to have the threat of speed. Deshaun Jackson is one of the all-time speed receivers we've ever seen in the NFL, and it's because he developed his game further on and past just the speed aspect. These guys, that is their calling card. That's what they're going to be doing. And they could get stronger over time. They could get better route running. But as a rookie and just as in general, what you're trying to see is, okay, do these guys understand the NFL game? Can we coach them up? Can they have some long-term potential? And I don't think, I mean, you can look as far back as Sheldon Gibson, right? He has done nothing. He's still on the team and he has the exact same skill set. So I think Howie's mm-hmm. thinking, okay, I want someone in the, in the wide receiver four or fifth spot who has that straight line speed. Let me draft a couple of guys. Let me trade for a veteran. And hopefully one of them work out. Definitely. I completely agree there. I mean, we, we're definitely, obviously, we're not keeping eight guys. We definitely, we, we know what we have in, in, in J.J. Arthur Whiteside. We know what we have in Alshon Jeffrey. Should he stick? We now know what we have in a Jalen Rager, a guy who can play outside, a guy who can play in the slot, a guy who's going to create a lot of yak for us. And so now it's like time to put some guys beside, behind Deshaun Jackson. Should there be an injury again or should he miss significant time or any time at all? So John Hightower, Marquise Goodwin and Quez Watkins all make sense for that potential role. And maybe how he's lining a couple guys up who can can perform on special teams and who can also potentially fill into that role because we know we have valued special teams year over year quite significantly, and we keep some guys around literally for what they can provide to the special teams because we have had one of the better special teams units in the league for the past few years. So, yeah. I mean, we play starters on our special teams. You know, uh, Malcolm Jenkins played on the kickoff team, uh, mm-hmm. or yeah, he played on the kickoff team for the entire time he was here. You know, that they mm-hmm. put starters out there because they believe it is truly a third phase of the game. Definitely. And I mean, that's a good thing that they value that. And maybe some of these guys can provide that. Maybe a John Hightower can provide that. Maybe Quez Watkins can provide that. We just don't know. But I mean, it it was all about speed. It was all about weapons for Carson Wentz. And now there's a plenty, there's a bounty of them that they now have to see what happens and hopefully they can get them in uniform and see what they got in them, run them through training camp, run them through the some preseason games and see who's worth keeping, who's worth dropping, who's going to be a viable weapon for Carson Wentz. And that's big. That's huge because we saw what happened last year. We lost to Sean Jackson. We lost Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar for some time. Plus he basically gave up on the team and we were down to, to Greg Ward, Ward, Deontay Burnett, and guys it was like awful. that. It was it's awful. absolutely it was, awful. It was a nightmare. <laughs> we, but the one thing that we can look forward to this year, Carson Wentz threw for 4,000 yards for the first time in NFL history without a wide receiver. I get it. Sanders, Ertz, Goddard, they're viable options, but they're not wide receivers. No wide receiver caught for more than 500 yards last year, and he threw for 4,000. 
that is an incredible feat to consider accomplishing. Um, so I think that these weapons only make it even better, even more exciting. And the realization that that it's not just, it's not Carson Wentz's fault. He's not injury prone. He can really bring us some great potential if we give him the right weapons. And I think how he's done an incredible job at surrounding him with some really quality, potential quality weapons. Absolutely. I think the the defining characteristic of the 2019 season to me is seeing the Falcons game when Deshaun went out early, Alshon went out early, and uh, Carson had every chance to win that game, and he throws this perfect pass to Nelson Aguilar on the left-hand side. I know you know what I'm talking about, and he mm-hmm. had a, just a beeline for the end zone, you know, and he drops it. And that is just exactly how that season went for Carson Wentz. He's doing all the right things. He's making great passes. Sometimes they're caught. Sometimes they're not. He truly was handicapped by his supporting cast on the outside. And I can't wait to see what he can do with some more firepower. Definitely. And I mean, at the end of the day, after the draft that the Vegas Raiders had, Nelson Aguilar could literally never take another snap in the NFL again. I'm sure there's a team who will go out and go after him. But with Lynn Bowden, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Terrell Williams already there, Hunter Renfro already there. He very well may be out of a job in Vegas and maybe out of a job in the NFL. And and I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. He bamboozled us for $9 million and then said, see you later. I may never play NFL football again. So <laughs> it, hurts. Yeah. it hurts. I mean, he signed for a veteran minimum on the first day of free agency. What does that tell you? It tells he, you his market he, exactly. was very, very dry. He knows his worth. He knows the value of the market. But based on this draft, it was tough to have any value as a wide receiver. So it makes sense. Um, briefly, we'll t- throw in the UDFAs. I had a lot more in- interesting conversation. And it actually could still be a very interesting conversation. They had not addressed the third running back position. They re-signed Corey Clement literally as we were going on the air today. And so they have Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Corey Clement, who has is oft injured, but a Super Bowl hero. And then there they went out and they got um, Killens and Michael Warren as UDFAs. Um, do you see any fit there for Killens or Warren? I see the fit for Warren because he's that guy who's going to take those first down carries off of Sanders and Scott. He's five foot eleven, two hundred and twenty-two pounds. I tweeted about him earlier today. He's built like a bull. He plays like a bull. I could see the fit there over guys like Sanders, Scott, and Clement because you want to take some weight off of Sanders to kind of, you know, lengthen his career to get to that second contract and to be the viable running back option in Philly for the future. Do you see any uh, fit there for those two? Connor, didn't you hear we're putting Jalen Hurts at running back? There you go. Like, that's our third run. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we I can mean, dream. It, yeah, people are crazy. Um, So I think with the third running back, I mean, look, when we won the Super Bowl, and not everything's going to be, that was a lightning in a bottle, I understand. But we had thunder and lightning. Okay, we had a big running back who could get the goal line carries, get those tough yardage. Miles Sanders is a complete back, all around great player. I can't wait to see what he does in year two. But you also have to plan for you know spelling him, making sure that he stays fresh throughout the entire game. Boston Scott, I think, can fill that role capably, but we're missing that sledgehammer. And we have Holyfield still on the team. I don't know if you remember him from last year. Mm-hmm. He's a big dude. 
And the third running back spot, I'm not sure. It, it really depends. You know, you can think back to like Shady McCoy or Brian Westbrook. And then those were different eras and people really relied on the running backs. But I don't really think Doug Peterson wants to take Miles Sanders off the field all that often. So I think that having Boston Scott as the backup could potentially be enough. I would love to see them sign someone else, like maybe a Carlos Hyde or just someone else in a veteran Lashawn minimum deal. McCoy? Where can, what's that? LaShawn McCoy, bring him back, uh, finish no, his no, career in done. Philly. <laughs> <laughs> he can sign a one-day yeah. contract and retire, but I don't think he'll help any. I mean, look, he was with Andy Reid last year, and Andy Reid didn't even activate him for the Super Bowl. Cold. Pretty cold. Just so. gave him that Super Bowl ring and said, thanks, LaShawn. Yeah, thank you, you for helped us during the year. So I would like to see a veteran third running back who can bring that uh, that sledgehammer potential just because I think that's an important skill set to have in the running back field. But other than that, I'm not feeling too, you know, considering other issues on the team, I'm not feeling like third running back is really anything that's going to impact this season. Mm, yeah, I mean, for me, I would love to. I kind of would be intrigued to have a guy like Carlos Hyde on the roster, but he's about the only free agent running back I would even care to consider. Um, so maybe that consideration is there. I think how he's just filling out the roster with that Corey Clement move, seeing if he's healthy, trying to trying to kind of see what he's got there. If if he if he's got that you know that oomph still in him, and if not, you just cut him kind of thing. Um, yeah. But but that's really all I see. The third running back position could come down to Carlos Hyde, could come down to Warren, could come down to Clement even just getting that roster spot just because they're comfortable with Sanders. They love Scott, Boston Scott. Those are the only two you need, but you need to have that third or maybe that fourth just in case of injury kind of situation. But they love Sanders. They love Scott in Philadelphia. And I don't think that you're going to convince anybody otherwise to have another running back on the roster except for just injuries and just a backup, maybe a special teamer. Um, And that really seems like the the reality in the running back room in, in Philadelphia. That's what you get. Boston Scott took full advantage of his opportunity. Miles Sanders took full advantage of his opportunity. They opened the door for Jordan Howard, said, see you later. Good luck in Miami. And now they're just saying whoever wants to come in behind us can kind of come in. But Sanders and Scott are going to run with it. Clearly, Miles Sanders more or less being the clear cut entrenched starter at that position. Um, I don't know if any other UDFAs interested you. But uh, those are the only two I was looking at, only because previous to the show, there was no third running back on the roster beyond like Holyfield or some practice squad guys. And yeah. then Coy Clement got signed as we went on the air. So don't know if any other ones interested you, but Khalil Tate just sounds like the Greg Ward experience all over again. Um, and then there's Julian Good-Jones, who has significant experience at the center position, who could potentially be an intriguing guy to stash on the practice squad. Um, but otherwise, the UDFAs are, are less than exciting this year. Yeah, I mean, look, you have 90 roster spots. You want to fill them in with talent. I think one of the best things that Doug Peterson has done is really em- embrace competition at all levels. And he doesn't care what round you've been drafted in. So if any of these guys break in, you know, you have the opportunity. You've been uh, signed by an NFL team and you've been working your entire life for this. So if any of these guys break through, social talent, get to stick around on the practice squad, make a career out of this. I think that's great. Um, not going to hold my breath for any of them, though. Definitely. Completely agree. So finally, finally, for a wrap up, uh, final draft grade. What would you give the draft? Uh, we had 10 draft picks and how he took us on a complete roller coaster. So give us a, a letter grade gra- draft grade. So before day three. 
I think I would have been in a in a C range. I think that his day three was fantastic. But turning that comp pick into multiple picks, including getting a fifth rounder next year. And then you also got to include Darius Slay in that hole, right? I mean, he's part mm-hmm. of this draft class. He was a third and a fifth round pick. So when I'm thinking about all of these together, the only pick that I'm really just eh about is the Hurts pick, just from the perspective of, look, a backup quarterback is a luxury to have, and that this isn't the time. But that brings it down a little bit. I'm going to go with a B minus. I think that this is nowhere near an A for me. I think that if you look at this in the future, the short term, I'm not sure how much impact these guys are going to have. Long term, I could see in two, three, four years, some of these guys starting to emerge and really showing their value. So I'm going to give it a B minus. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm going I'm going with a B. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little better with it there because, I mean, like you said, Darius Slay has to be included in this. And Darius Slay, that's a shutdown cornerback that we've been crying for, that we've been loathing for. Um, so that was a big thing for me. That was basic. That was essentially moving him for a three and a five and how team friendly that contract is. That that was basically an A plus move there. The steals like Kevon Wallace and Prince Tagawanoka definitely stand out there as as like A A minus moves. Jalen Rager, that speed, the Marquise Goodwin deal kind of stand out as like A A minus deals for me. But then there's like the things like you know the often forgotten about linebacker position: Two Hill, Bradley Taylor, and, and like you said, maybe they emerge. We we don't know at this point. But I'm going to go with a B for this grade because um, I, I like the draft. I like the 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 Darius Slay move. I like the Jalen Breger move over Justin Jefferson. I like holding steady instead of, of trading up for CD because of the deep draft. It looks like there was a very rich, rich return to move up in the first round. And I like how he's patience to see it out and to not to not give that rich return. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with a B. But uh, I think it's fair. Oh, yeah, overall, I mean, if you're in the BB minus range, I think that's generally where a lot of people are looking at it and feeling for this draft. And that Jalen Hurts pick, like you said, is literally the pick that make takes it from the A minus or A down into the Bs, into the BB minus category. If Jalen Hurts is a completely different pick or a trade back and then he turns that into other viable picks at the secondary or linebacker position... I think we're talking a vitally different draft, but sadly, Mm -hmm. hindsight 2020, we have Jalen Hurts on our team. Yeah, I think one of the big things missing from this draft class that, that, at least for me, is a cornerback. And I know that might be silly because you're talking about Darius Slay, but let's just say he gets injured or, you know, whatever. I mean, the second cornerback position, like, who are we filling that with? Sidney Jones? Mm -hmm. Is he trustworthy? I don't think so. Avante Maddox, Rasul Douglas, who, yeah, Yeah, Avante Maddox and Rasul Douglas, yeah. They're, they're yeah. definitely they're being talked about as like safety options. So why why would we consider them as, as viable cornerback options, viable CB2 options, CB1? Like you got to th- consider what if there's an injury, what if there's multiple injuries? Yeah, I mean, look, you're planning for contingencies at the quarterback position. Well, guess what, Howie? You got to plan for contingencies at cornerback too. <laughs> so we have definitely, you know. we've had quantity over quality at that position for year over year over year. Now we have quality but a bit less quantity because we've already moved Jalen Mills. There's a thought of moving Douglas out. Craven LeBlanc is strictly, you know, that nickel cornerback. It creates a little bit of an eh feeling if there's an injury there. Same as the linebacker position for me. Both positions, you lose just one of those people, and that position becomes a 
can, could become the Achilles heel. The secondary, the cornerback position was our Achilles heel last year. I would say it. How many times did you watch those vital third downs given up on a guy who played 10 yards off and came up on the play just a couple seconds too late? That That's that's the type of thing we're looking at. And, and I mean, we... I mean, we got in this on positive. You know, there's some a lot of positive things to look at from this draft. There's we have a we're fielding a very solid team, I think. And and I think honestly, we're a better team than we were last year with Darius Slay and with the moves that were made to give Carson Wentz some weapons. I don't know about you, but I think our team is better than last year's team, which obviously it doesn't take a whole lot to beat that. But I think we can make the playoffs again firing any injury issues but you know for us we just kind of sit there and we just pray that 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 we don't get any injuries they overhauled the medical staff yet again so let's pray together as we end this episode that that you know that we're, we're going to be good to go and that this that the injuries stay away the injury bug stays away i wholeheartedly agree i think that they're better and they got younger you know some of the ways to prevent against an injury situation is to have a younger player out there so Letting some of these older folks transition out, go be somewhere else. I think that Howie's doing it the right way from a building a team perspective. I'm not having aspirations of, okay, like, let's go to the Super Bowl this year. I'm not getting that vibe, but I do think we're on the right path. And I think that some of these players that we've drafted this past weekend will be players for years to come and grow with Carson and hopefully end up getting us a Super Bowl in the future. Absolutely. Completely agree. Well, Josh, it was Awesome to have you on. Awesome to do this draft grade with you. It would have been a lonely show without you or LJ. So thank you for coming on. Um, just for, for the listeners out there, let us know where we can find you and where we can find your podcast so that, that we can, as soon as you're done finishing, as soon as you're done listening to this, you can go over and listen to The Missing Link. Absolutely. So yes, Missing Link, L-I-N-C. And it is on, it's everywhere. So I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, all that stuff. And um, look, I would love to have you guys over. I'm on Twitter at Josh McNutt 24. I'm pretty active on there, as is Connor. And uh, we interact quite a bit. So you want to talk birds, I'm there. Definitely. Completely agree. Like you said, you can find us at the, at Kelly Green Hour on Twitter. You can find me at Connor 10. I'm extremely active as a fantasy football kind of fantasy football person as well as, as an Eagles person. So I will talk almost any type of football with you. But again, thank you so much, Josh, for coming on. Uh, go check out The Missing Link. Don't forget to rate and review us. And then go and listen to The Missing Link and rate and review them. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you.